Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. We are going to be in Luke chapter 6. If you want to follow along, the verses will be on the screen, or um, you can follow along on your phone or your own Bible. Uh, So Luke chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 27. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks when things are taken away from you. Don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good only to those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. If you lend money only to those who can repay you, why should you get credit? Even sinners will lend to other sinners for a full return. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to be repaid. Then your reward from heaven will be very great, and you will be truly acting as children of the Most High, for he is kind to those who are unthankful and wicked. You must be compassionate just as your Father is compassionate. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. Hey, let's pray. Uh, Father, we, we love you. Father, we pray that in the next few moments that you would be kind and gentle with us. Um, Father, we pray that your kingdom will come, your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But Father, that thing you do, which I don't know how you do it, but I always ask you to do it, is can you align our heart with your heart this morning? Father, I ask in my personal heart that you would align my heart with yours this morning and that you would help us and that you would teach us and that you would lead us. In spirit, we pray right now that you would fill this room with your presence, that, Father, we would start to feel your presence, that, Father, that you would teach us to know your presence and to know your voice right now. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, hey, um, my name is Chad Stewart. I am one of the pastors here at the Vineyard, and, um, and we're in a series right now. So from the Mountain of Transfiguration until Easter in the church calendar, there was 40 days, and there's 40 days in Jesus' life, which he had between that time, and, for, and that's what we call Lent. And for Lent this year as a church, we are going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is um, by any... Um, category, it's probably one of the hardest things to preach. It's the highest ethics that we know. It's some of the greatest teaching that um, we've ever seen. People have been marveled by it. Lindsay last week talked about Gandhi and all these people that love the Sermon on the Mount. And I love it too, but I don't always understand it. And if I understand it, I necessarily don't want to do it. 
because um, it's some of the hardest teaching to obey. And what we're going to talk about this morning, um, if you were here back in, I think, the start of October, I preached the same sermon, but we had one of those weird weekends that I've never seen happen since I've been here. Young Life had a thing, but not only that, you guys were out on fall break, and we only had like 28 people here on a Sunday, and I took this thing and said it right down there and preached the sermon down there because it was weird being on the stage with 28, pe- with 28 people in this room. So if you were here that day, same sermon, you know. <laughs> I hope it's better this time around. I don't know. Um, but, for all of the, but for all of us, I'm going to expect it's going to be new. Um, but we're going to talk about a teaching that Jesus embodied in the life that he lived And in him representing this message, he declared a truth about God that many people in his day and our day um, just find hard to believe and hard to obey. And if we want to follow this rogue rabbi named Jesus, um, then we have to follow him in this teaching and representation that God loves his enemies and invites us to do the same. Um, In this portion of Luke, we have his version of the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount in which Jesus was reframing human life through the reality of the kingdom of God. Jesus was teaching us about an upside-down kingdom and what kind of life we would experience if we would choose to follow him. And I just picked a passage of this famous sermon in which Jesus says that in this new kingdom life, if you are willing to listen, now note that at the start of that first verse, he says, if you are willing to listen, you should love your enemies. And I find that in- interesting. This is one of the most vital aspects of what it means to actually follow Jesus and live in the kingdom of God. The famous philosopher uh, Dallas Willard says the mark of spirit of spiritual maturity is spontaneous love for your enemy. Spontaneous. It's just in you. And when that moment comes up to where you're either going to get mad or you're going to love them, you just naturally love them. And that's what he meant. And I don't know about you guys, but um, our church slogan here is joining God and renewal of all things. I love that. It's this big vision, awesome thing. I think, I think everyone can at least relate to it, but I've never seen a church say, joining God and loving our enemies, mainly because I don't think anyone would go to that church. Um, it'd be like, well, that's weird that that's the one thing that you're about. Um, and me personally, it's like, oh, that's what you're focusing on? I'm going to go down here. Um, Right? I've never seen that church slogan, um, probably because um, that one's, this teaching is just really, really hard. It's really hard to understand. It's really hard to live out. And I don't know about you, but you don't have to be very aware to realize that anger and resentment is a growing commodity in the world in which we live today. Political and racial strife has been the norm for our country. The news is quick to let us know who we should hate or love every single day. And the world's way of working is that if you disagree with me and oppose me, then you are my enemy. And if you have, the mind, and if you have that mindset that um, if you disagree with me or oppose me that you're my enemy, then that's the way we justify any type of behavior we want towards people that we label as our enemy. We can justify any words. We can justify any action. And I'll use Paul, and you know, politics is an example of this. Both sides have a tendency to do it, and both sides have very legitimate reasons for doing it in the name of Jesus. They both claim him. 
The same Jesus that said, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer the other cheek also. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks. And when things are taken from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. But it's at this precise time and moment in our day that Jesus is calling us to become the type of people that can spontaneously just come up out of us, love our enemies in a moment. And here we have to wrestle with the implications and understand what Jesus is really saying here because loving your enemies seems like lovely religious thought, right? It sounds beautiful. It is beautiful religious rhetoric. When I was a kid... um. How many of you know about Kennecut? Have you guys ever heard of that? Um, I grew up in Branson, Missouri, and there was a camp there. Um, I always wanted to go. I always was. And now I'm, if you heard any of the news, I'm glad my parents never let me go. Um, but um, but um, growing up, I always wanted to grow. I, well, I did want to grow. Um, you know, wish I was a little bit taller. It would help out in life. But um, I always wanted to go. And my cousin, who was the same age as me, he's one month older, was always able to go, and all my friends were able to go. And here's the deal. I had no clue had anything to do with Christians. I wasn't one. I just knew all the cool kids were going, and they were playing basketball, and I wanted to go. And I would go ask my parents almost every year around summer, Mom, Dad, can I go? And they'd be like, no. I'd be like, why not? And they're like, we don't have the money. I'd be like, so what? I want to go. And they go, no, we love you, though. And then they would wait for me to say, I love you back. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel like saying I love you back in that moment. Like, who wants to, yeah, I love you too. Thanks for ruining my life, right? <laughs> Which, in retrospect, they saved my life. <laughs> um, 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 but basically, in that moment, they would just sit there and have the audacity to wait for me to say I love them back. And I would grip my teeth and say I love you. But I had no meaning of living that out from that point on. It was just basically words, I didn't mean it, but they waited for it. And I think that is what we do a lot of times with Jesus and his teaching to love our enemies. We say it, we know it, but we have no plan to form ourselves into that. We are inspired by that kind of love, but we typically have no intention or plan of becoming the type of people that would love their enemies. And I don't think that's out of bad intentions, it's just something hard to form our hearts to. Interestingly enough, enemy in this passage in Luke is an adjective. It's not a noun in the Greek. It's an adjective to describe someone who is hated. And so it is logical and reasonable to come to the conclusion that Jesus is saying here to love the one you presently hate. And that word means to love someone you presently feel hostile towards. And so to follow Jesus into this type of kingdom life, we are called to develop the type of imagination of what it would look like to love our enemies, to do good towards them. So I want us to pause and ask a question real quick. Um, I see Bishop Todd Hunter do it all the time. It works for him. Hardly ever works for me, but I love it. Um, Because when he's dealing with the text that's really hard like this, he'll stop and he'll ask this question. And the question is, do you think Jesus is smart? Like, is he smart? Is Jesus actually self-aware of the complexities of relationships, the unimaginable hurt and pain we cause one another every day? 
Was he just giving us lovely religious talk, or was he aware of what was going on around him at that time? Was Jesus conscious of the culture in which he was speaking at at that time? Did he know? Surely the people in that culture that heard that responded, the Jews first saying, I'm supposed to love the Romans? They've taken our land. They put us under subjection. They are oppressing us. We should love them? Or it can't mean that we should love the lowly Samaritans who we call dogs on a regular basis. Jesus can't certainly mean we love those people because they don't worship the right way. They don't worship like we do. They worship the wrong way. We worship the right way. Or in our culture, hey, surely we can't mean that we should love the political right or left. He surely can't mean that I should love my coworker. He can't mean the person who bullies me. Or in a more serious matter, at least for me, that I have to love people who love pancakes. Like, I'm a waffle guy through and through. It holds the syrup. It's great. It's useful. I don't know what a pancake does. It gets soggy, and it just kind of lays there. And you may say it soaks everything up, but by that time, it's just syrup. Right? Waffles, guys. get Join the club. Um, or let's go a step further in our context, and this one hurts, it hurts my soul even saying this. He certainly can't mean I have to love those other Christians. Um, you know, those other Christians that we try to serve people we are not like. Like, I'm a Christian, but I'm not like those Christians. And avoid and complain about. He can't mean those Christians. Jesus can't mean that we should love those people. Surely, means, surely he means that we should love people who are mostly pretty good, but only occasionally they have these little defects. Those are the people that we should love, right? Um, in our culture, retaliation is like the most ugly thing, and it is rampant. Like I said earlier, if you can make someone out to be an enemy, then you can justify any type of behavior you want towards those people that you label as your enemy, And a famous New Testament scholar uh, I just read said this, he who retaliates thinks he's manning up and resisting aggression, but in fact, he's making an unconditional surrender to evil, to the ways of evil. And Jesus showed us a different way. So it just seems Jesus may not just be smart, he just may be a genius. Because he knows his own... culture and our own today and he invites us to love our enemies so that we are no longer controlled by their actions or words. Jesus in saying to love our enemies offers us freedom and that seems counterintuitive completely but in asking us to love our enemies he's offering us freedom. It's a different way of being human that Jesus is offering us. You may have another question though. Yeah, Jesus may be smart but does he actually expect us to love those we presently hate? Um, Like, is that actually a reality? And and my answer is yes. Um, The reason being, um, in the time of Jesus' day, he got on to the religious people for uh, putting burdens on people's back. They, They would teach these heavy doctrines and put them on people, and they were really hard to obey, and the religious people didn't even obey it themselves. So this is what Jesus says in response to that. Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink, by which you can banquet on God, they package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. They seem to take pleasure in watching you stagger under these loads and wouldn't think of lifting a finger to help. 
So Jesus called them out for placing heavy rules and burdens on people's necks. So Jesus can't be doing that to us when he says for us to love our enemies, can he? He doesn't expect it to be a heavy burden, which I don't understand because it it, it sounds so hard. Personally, I don't think Jesus is telling us to love our enemies as a lovely religious language, some think, or as dumping a heavy religious burden on us. Listen to this. I think Jesus has given us one of the greatest invitations we could ever imagine. And he invites us to love our enemies so that we are no longer controlled by their actions or words. Jesus, in saying to love our enemies, offers us freedom. And he is offering us abundant life. It's a different way of being human that Jesus is offering us. It's the way of the kingdom of God. Jesus modeled this for us in one of the greatest pictures in the Bible. Uh, Jesus went through uh, a trial in which they lied about him. He chose to remain silent. Then they gave him 39 lashes and then sentenced him to die on the cross, which was a criminal's death. And on the cross, while they were gambling for his clothes with dice, Jesus says these words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Jesus, God in the flesh, shows us the heart of the Father, an unconditional love for his enemies. And that means me, and that means all of us in this room. But I don't believe Jesus said those words with gritted teeth, right? I don't think he had an inward position that was begrudgingly spoken those words like I was with my parents, I love you. I don't think Jesus was doing that. The inner bent of his will The spontaneous response of his heart is what uttered those words, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus invites us into that kind of inward disposition. And so the million-dollar question becomes, how in the world do we become the type of person who can spontaneously love our enemies? Like, how do we do it? Dallas Willard has this to say about that. He says, When Jesus hung on the cross and prayed, Father, forgive them because they do not understand what they are doing, that wasn't hard for him. What would have been hard for him would have been to curse his enemies and spew forth vileness and evil upon everyone, God and the world, as those crucified with him did, at least for a while. He calls us to him to impart himself to us. He does not call us to do what he did, but to be as he was, permeated with love. Then the doing of what he did and said becomes the natural expression of who we are in him. Um, So you may be asking, what the heck is he saying there? He's not saying that the goal is with white-knuckled hands going out and saying, I'm going to love my enemies because um, Paul dealt with this in Galatians where he contrasted the, the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And he went through these two long lists. And the issue during that time is these Jewish people have come in and they confuse the Galatians church and they say, hey, in order to be a true Christian, you must be circumcised. You must do the works of the law. You must do something. And then Paul is angry. He's coming in and he's saying, no, that completely ruins the gospel. You are justified by grace alone. You don't have to work for it. And so Paul then goes into this list and he's saying, hey, here's the work of white-knuckled trying obedience. That I'm going to wake up every day and I'm just going to try to do this in my own power. 
And he says this is the result of that. But those who live by the Spirit will do this. And simply what Dallas Willard and what Paul is saying is that it's a surrender of the will to God. And then we allow him to grow that in us. So that what we become as he is in this word, world and he imparts himself to us. And I know that's like, well, how do I get that to happen? And guys, I wish that happened like that. Um, let me tell you though, it hasn't happened in a lot of places in my heart. Jesus invites us to become as he was to do what he did, not to do in order to become, but to become in order to do. That's the invitation of Jesus. Now, Jesus doesn't expect perfection here, but he does expect growth. He does expect us to grow in love for our enemies. So in order to become, we have to have disciplines that help orient our will to be as he was. And I'll have one discipline that um, you guys have practiced a ton around here. We've done the enemy's prayer a lot. I'm not going to make you do that today. We'll have a different practice at the end, but... But that prayer is on our social media platforms. Leave here, get that prayer, and start praying it. Um, but first, I want to tell you a few stories about how this worked out in my own life. Um, how this first worked out in my life, the guy, Seth, that we talked about, all you young life people, have now spent a week in New York with him, so you know him. Um, but he was equipping a group of us in East Tennessee, and he was taking us through these, spir- these spiritual disciplines And we showed up on the Zoom call, and he gave us the practice of praying for our enemies. On the Zoom call, he explained it and said that he was going to give us about five minutes to practice this. So I sat there looking at this prayer, and I was like, okay, I'm here. What do I want to pray? And I sat there for like three minutes, and I'm like, Jesus, I got nothing. I have arrived. I don't hate anyone, Jesus. Jesus, I'm killing it. Like, I'm an A-plus Christian now. I don't know how it happened, but I got here, and it's wonderful. And um, I'm, sitting, I'm sitting there, and then all of a sudden, there was this feeling of like, no, I'm just really deceived about myself. I'm pretty sure about this. And so I keep on waiting, and everyone hops back on, and I just leave my screen blank, and I mute them. I'm just like, something's wrong in my own soul that I can't think of anything. Um, and so I hear Jesus say, Chad, is there anyone you compete with? And I'm like, yes, everyone. <laughs> everyone, anything. Any time and day, and Jesus go, and Jesus like, well, that's your enemy. Um, and then Jesus showed me that my men, my enemy is, in fact, now listen to this: anyone I support, my enemy is anyone I love, my enemy is anyone I want to succeed, as long as they just don't do as good as me. Like, here's the deal: I hope Lindsay kills it every sermon. I just hope she doesn't do as good as me. Um, And unfortunately, I'm batting zero on that. I mean, for the past three years, I've had to preach next to a unicorn. Um, It hasn't been fair. Um, um, But do you you guys get that? Don't you guys have that feeling in you that you want people to succeed, but maybe not as much as you? I do. Um, But then he took it a step further. He brought up a few of my idols that uh, God, God, God did. Um, that I have recently uncovered. One is comfort, another one is certainty. And so he made me think of people that affected both of those idols in my life. And by the end of it, I realized, Jesus, everyone is or anyone can be my enemy. And the person who I prayed that prayer for the most since then has been my own wife. Because he affects my comfort more than anyone. I live with her 
Well, now I don't, I live with her five, four days a week. Um, those three days are really nice. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I love her and miss her. It sucks being, I love being with you guys, but I'd rather be with her. Um, but, but, but I notice she's the person who I pray for the most. And then it took it a step further. She's not the one who actually affects my comfort the most. Jesus, you actually do that. Jesus, you are actually, at times, my biggest enemy in life. Um, here's one thing I found out about Jesus. He's not big on certainty. That affects me. And so I'm always wrestling with him to find some kind of certainty in my life. And I'm like, Jesus, I don't know how to play. Jesus, bless you more than me. Like, that just sounds weird, but I have to sometimes. Um, and then I have to pray for myself. Like, God, I don't think I deserve anything in this moment. I'm my biggest enemy, it feels like, in this moment. Will you bless me? Like, that sounds weird. But I think that's what he would want us to pray. And so Seth hops back on this phone, and he gives us this definition. He says, this is how we should define our enemies. Um, as anyone who you feel resentment or hostility toward, or get this, or wish to avoid interacting with. Is there anyone you wish to avoid interacting with? Um, I've got a list. And then he goes on to say, in obedience to Jesus, we want to pray for our enemies, especially praying for God to bless them and raise them above ourselves. Um, when me and Christy, um, I've been practicing this in my life now for quite a few months, and when we were down in Atlanta on Valentine's night, um, I took my wife to a concert and we're on Peachtree Street. We're on our way home. I hit a home run that night, guys. I was killing it. Um, and then um, we're driving down the road, and there's this person who's a ways away, like I would say from down here to the library where your kids are at. And I see this car speeding and just slamming on the brakes. There's no one around them. They're speeding, slamming on the brakes. And me and Christy are coming up on them, and I'm just like, okay, well, this is going to be weird. And so, and, and, and so basically we're coming up on them. They slam on the brakes, so I get in the other lane, and I go, and we go past them, and then they speed up, and they get right next to us, and it's just some people out looking for an excuse to get into something. And they're flipping us off, and they're doing all these things. And by some grace of God, I was self-controlled and did not raise my hand like this while driving, like I am prone to do. Thank you, Jesus. Because this guy ain't going to, I mean, look at this. This guy ain't going to last very long if he gets into something. <laughs> my wife has a better chance than I do. Um, but, but in that moment, I'm real defensive because, like, you can mess with me all you want to. Just don't mess with my wife. And between you and me is her. And I, and I want to protect her, and I can't, so I'm mad and angry. And luckily, we're coming up on our turn, and I maneuver behind them, and I swing in at the last second so they don't follow us into where we live. And, and I'm thinking about that for a few days, and I'm like, Jesus, I'm just kind of mad. Like, why would someone want to do that, or why would someone want to look for trouble? And Jesus is like, hey, why don't you pray for him? Because you're holding resentment. You couldn't protect your wife. You felt like you couldn't, so pray. And guys, there's something that comes along with praying for your enemies, which is really weird, and they go together, is as you pray for your enemies, you will start to grieve for them. Those things go hand in hand. And I'm not grieving for them because they're lost, wayward, and sinful. Um, Paul says that um, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and things like that. 
And I'm like, Jesus, what do you have to go through in a life to be there at that, at that time of night looking for something to get into? And I'm like, Jesus, bless them. Jesus, bless them. Jesus, help them. Um, but that wasn't the natural, spontaneous response of my heart. And guys, I am grieved at how much that is not the spontaneous response of my heart. And I think that's what Jesus wants it to be. And so today I'm going to invite the band to come back up. But band, I'm going to ask this for a moment of silence. Because I think silence makes this uncomfortable and it's supposed to be uncomfortable. Um, and so this is what I want to do. You guys have the prayer practice. Um, it's on every social media platform. But what I want to do is, because I know, I'm going to guess while I'm preaching, you're probably able to think of someone who you want to avoid, someone who makes you angry, someone who you're holding resentment towards. Um, I don't think that's hard as a human being to think of. And then I want us to take a moment, and I want us to have God bring that person on our heart, and then I want you to ask the Father, um, just asking this simple request. And it's, Father, make my heart full of the spontaneous love that you have for people in me. Father, would you fill my heart with spontaneous love for this person? Um, and I want to take a few moments and do that. And so I'm going to give us a few, few moments right now. I'm going to ask the Spirit to come, and then we're just going to wait for a moment. We're going to see if anyone comes to our mind. And then after a while, I'm just going to um, guide you and say, okay, hey, now start praying for him. Does that sound good? Okay. Um, so let's pray. Father, I pray that right now, uh, and God, I just want to pray for everyone in here and even for myself, that right now you would do that work, which I don't know how you do. I can't uh, find any um, numerical evidence, God. I can't measure it. Um, I can't hold on to it. But, Father, I pray right now that you would do that work in our hearts that only, Holy Spirit, that you can do. And I pray right now that you would give us a heart of spontaneous love. And right now, Father, I pray that you would bring someone to our heart that we can pray for, that we can start praying for. to bless them, to raise them above yourself.
Jesus, I ask, Father, that you would continue to guide and disciple our hearts into spontaneous love for those we want to avoid, for those we love and support and want to do well, but maybe not as well as us. Father, to those that we actually hold bitter and resentment against. And Holy Spirit, I pray right now that your kingdom would come. And God, that this would be a church that would be marked and defined by love for one another, but also love for our enemies. I don't know, Father, I ask that, at least for me, Father, that you would forgive me that my heart isn't always positioned in that way. And Father, I pray that in here today that you would break up some hard ground that has gotten inside of us some numbness and that you would help us.